0: Thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. Hey, good to see each of you. Hey, grab your bulletin. On the back of the bulletin is the title of the message this morning. Um, And I'm going to tell you that today, you're going to hear a word today that it's, it's in the Bible a bunch. It's just not in the church a bunch. It's amazing how you can... How you can have words that are in the Bible, but you never hear them in church? I just don't. I don't exactly get that. I don't know where we've come with that. But today we're going to look at a word that's in the Bible, but I'm, but I'm going to tell you that it's not necessarily always heard in church. Very seldom in church today do you hear the word "deny yourself." Deny yourself. Don't hear that a lot. Because we live in a day and time where God is great and you're supposed to come to church and the pastor tell you how great you are. That you don't need to change. You're great. Thanks for coming. You're awesome. You're the best thing since sliced bread and peanut butter, baby. You're awesome. All right? Now, that's true. For many of us, we're great people. We're awesome and, and all this other stuff. But I'm going to tell you that the truth is, Jesus said, I have come for the sick, not the well. Well, I, I'm not sick. We're all a mess. I, your pastor, I'm a mess. Apart from Jesus, I am nothing. And man, we all need him. We all do. We all do. And so today, we're going to look at what it means to to deny yourself. Because really, what we say is deny yourself. What? Deny myself? No. I live in America. I'm not going to deny myself. I mean, we, we feed this in America. Listen to this question. It's on your bulletin. How do you deny yourself in a culture that says it's all about you? That's hard, man. How do you deny yourself when you live in a culture that says it's all about you? And boy, do we ever live in that culture. And we need to go to your Bible, Gospel of Matthew. Go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Rich young man. Verse 16. Hopefully you have a pen or a pencil in your own Bible because I'm going to have you write in it quite a bit. Matthew 19, verse 16. Matthew 19, 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20 All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to the disciple, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, They were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. With God all things are possible. Peter answered him, When he left everything to follow you, what then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit in the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left of the house of the brothers and sisters and the fathers and mothers and children in the fields for my sake will receive a hundred times much than we eat, and will inherit eternal life. But many who will be first will be last, and many who are last will be first. I want to show you a couple things. Verse twenty. It says, I have kept all these things I have kept, the young man said. Listen to this question. What do I still lack? That's a great question. What do I still lack? I wonder how many of us approach our time with the Lord and simply say, this is all that I've done this is all that you've commanded me to do. I've, been, I've tried to be faithful and obedient to this, but what do I still lack? Well, that's a great question. That's a question from a follower, not from a fan. A fan would definitely do the commercial of look at me. A follower says, I've done a lot, but it's to his glory. But God, what more do I lack? What more do I lack? Matthew 19 is an interesting passage. Verse 16 of this, you see there's a muffed-up question at the beginning. He says, what must I do? The problem is the I. It's not about him. See, he still thinks it's all about himself, that he can do something to earn eternal life. You can tell by the question at the very beginning, he's, he's, he's very confused about how this works. It's not about what he does. It's about what Jesus did for him. You see, people want to make this about money. Can I just set you free this morning? It's not about money. So if you have money and you're rich or considered rich, this is not about not having money. Uh, This is not about, please go be poor, because if you're poor, you're more like Jesus. This is not about money. This is not about money. It is about following Jesus. The reason he asked these questions at the beginning, he says, keep these commands. Jesus already knew he kept all those commands. But he said all those because why? Because the question in verse 16 says, what must I do? So as soon as Jesus started putting this litany of tests to these questions, he said, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And so, what does this man do? He's feeling pretty good at that point. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And Jesus says, "You good? Now, I don't want you to get take everything you got. I want you to go sell it, and I want you to distribute it to the poor." Rutbo, row, his Rice Krispies just lost their pop. I'm just gonna tell you right now that messed him up because why? Jesus went straight to his heart, man, straight to his heart, straight to his heart. I remember when I felt my sophomore and junior year really began my sophomore year. God saying ministry, 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 ministry. I want you in the ministry. And I'm like, (laughs) boy, no way. No way. No, 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 no. And here's what it got down to. He knew my heart. We got all the way down this path, and I still couldn't hear. I mean, I thought that's what he wanted, but I didn't hear it loud. I didn't, I didn't know for sure. And what it came down to was that Jeff Ponder, for many, many years, harbored hard bitterness and unforgiveness towards his dad. But when asked how he was in church, he said, fine. Fine. Because everybody in church is fine when it got right down to it, Jesus simply said to me, "You need to forgive your dad, and you'll hear the answer and dude, that's exactly what it was because as soon as I let go of that, floodgates open, floodgates, and some of you are stuck, boy. Some of you looking at me right now know for sure that you've done all this stuff and you said, check, 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 check. What more must I lack? I'm so good. And Jesus is right now beginning to speak right where you're at. He's saying it right to you, boy, and you know it. And he said it before, and you're like, this is an echo. Everywhere I go, he keeps saying the same thing. Why? Every time I open a book, see a picture, hear something on the radio, it's always that same, same subject because he knows your heart. And he knows you will not go past that spot where your heart is camped. My friends, here's what I've learned about the Bible. The things I read and bother me the most are the things that that's where I'm at. That's what I found. You see, when I didn't forgive, I would always run across, forgive as I forgave you. Hey, y'all hear that? Y'all need to forgive. They didn't read that. And they didn't need me to tell them that. I read that for me. But I always wanted to deflect it. The things that bother me most in Scripture are the things that I lack. That's what, that's what I found. There's a story of a pastor that went to Africa and he spoke for two weeks in these outdoor camps. And every time they would speak, they would go deeper in the woods, deeper in the woods, deeper in the woods. And they just set up this little uh, tent like area and they would just start preaching the gospel, having worship and preaching the gospel, having worship, preaching the gospel. And so these crowds would just come from all over this place, people just file in. I mean, all you got to do is just start singing, and here they come. And so this pastor finishes preaching. He gives the invitation. These two men in the back come forward, and they get saved. I mean, radically saved, born again, child of the king. And so the pastor is visiting uh, after it's all over, and he, these guys come by and say hi and greet the pastor, and then they leave. They go up back out into the woods. He never sees them, and they just scatter. And so this pastor and these guys he's with are visiting, and they're kind of folding up everything, getting things back and. And so they're about to leave, and all of a sudden they see these two men they just keep they start walking together and the, and the pastor's like, "Hey, that's those two guys that that just got saved right uh-huh well, what's with these big bags they're toting over their back? That's all their belongings he said why what are they why, why do they have all their belongings?" he said, because the families they returned to rejected them because they got, just got born again, they got saved. They got rejected by their family, so they were told to gather all their belongings and leave. So the pastor said, "Where are they going?" Don't know where they're going, but they get rejected. I look at that and I look at church in America. They're totally the opposite. <laughs> Number one, if if you if you put a tent up and start singing and there's no chairs, no one's coming. Right? Got to have a chair. They sit on the floor. Not only that, mosquitoes bite them to death the whole time they're out there. Bugs crawl all over them, but they're there to have church. So they give their life to Christ, and they know when they give their life to Christ, they're going to be rejected by family. But they do it anyway. Dude, (laughs) that is a follower. That's a follower. I saw an interview online the other day, MSNBC. Interesting interview. This lady is interviewing these vegetarians. Now, you may be a vegetarian today and I love you. But if I ever come over, have a ribeye. One ribeye, please. God loves cows. But here's the deal. Sorry. He loves celery too. But here's the deal. Uh, I was watching this interview on these vegetarians. Now, it struck me because I don't get the vegetarian thing. So I I was just kind of drawn to that so i'm watching it you know and she's interviewing them and they and and so the crux of this interview is not about them being vegetarians in this vegetarian community because they all kind of live together and they share celery or something i don't know but they all kind of kind of hang out together and so the, the thing is the interview was they have coined a new word for the vegetarians flexitarian it's a flexitarian you know what a flexitarian is A flexitarian are vegetarians that get to be flexitarians every once in a while when they need a ribeye. So they become flexitarians. I'm just telling you, man, it'll come be in the dictionary in a couple of weeks. I mean, a couple of years, you have flexitarian. Now, she is so passionately believing that this is really a word. And she's so excited that she has experienced the freedom of flexitarianism. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this woman probably drove here. She probably graduated from one of our universities. She probably votes, too. I mean, I was just thinking of all kind of bad images of this. And so basically what it is, is a vegetarian that gets to choose whenever they want to to have meat. But that does not disqualify them from being vegetarians. So they can still hang out in their little club or clone or posse or whatever they call themselves. So they can still do that. All right? And so I was watching this and I was like, that's interesting. But that's so us. Because what we have learned to do in America is compartmentalize denying yourself. All right, I, I have no problem with smoking marijuana, so I will deny myself a marijuana. That's quite a denial there, since you've never done it. All right? Now, wait a minute, Jesus. This forgive thing, nah. How about, I got three over here I'm not doing. Just give me this one right here. This, this mulligan. I can take this one. He said, no, 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 no. See, I used to do this all the time. When I was going to college and I was playing baseball, and I had this conversation with one of the guys. We had a bunch of guys went and ate lunch Friday, and I, I had this conversation with Scott, I think. I used to tell God, honest truth. I'm sorry to, to confess this as your pastor, how weak I was. I used to tell God, God, let me throw fastballs in the major leagues for you, and I'll sign uh, baseballs. I'll put my autograph on baseball for these little kids. But here's what I'll do for you, God, if you let me play pro ball. I'll put some scripture on the baseball. How like that? You good? I mean, it'd be kind of like a missionary, but I get to do what I want to do. And he's like, Jeff, you cannot treat me that way. I gave all for you, and I want all of you. Now, we struggled for a long time, but tug-of-war with God is a bad game to pick, all right? You always lose, all right? So he said, I don't want your autograph on a baseball. I don't want you to put my scripture on a baseball and count that as a missionary. I want all of you to surrender to me, to deny yourself, and I will do great things through you. My friends, we cannot be flexitarians in the area of denying self. We cannot. There's a book out called "Raving Fans" by Kim Blanchard. Now, this book, "Raving Fans," is about it's, it's it's a book for businesses. Basically, it's a book of how businesses can make people so raving fans, such raving fans of what they produce. Okay, that they will do anything to get it. The NBA, the NFL. All this sports stuff, that's what they're all about, man. When you watch sports on TV, it is programmed for certain times. Like last night, man, they're going to put New England and the Colts in the prime time spot because they're going to get more viewers, okay? It's all about revenue, man. It's all about revenue. And so you get Best Buy and all these other electronic performance. It's all about becoming or making raving fans, okay, and that's why on Black Friday, they'll sleep outside, 12 degrees, sleep outside to get what? To get electronics. They're raving fans. I mean, they'll die to get it. The problem is, in a couple of months, they're going to have to get something else because everybody that got the thing that they got, they stayed outside for 12 degrees weather to get. Now they've all caught up with you. So you got to get ahead of them. All right? So you got to get the next thing and the next thing. And so it's all about building raving fans, man. It's all about making it happen. Now, that's a great book for business, and that's a terrible book for producing followers of Jesus. Terrible book. I want you to listen to this. It's a great way, as I mentioned, to recruit customers. It's a dangerous way to call followers. Many churches have become companies that measure success by the number of customers they've attracted. And how do we get up more customers? By trying to make customers feel comfortable, important, and happy. We want a product, in this case Jesus, to come off appealing and comfortable as possible. So that when someone comes church shopping, we try and show them what we have to offer. Can you see why this undermines the invitation Jesus gave to deny yourself? Church sends the message, whatever you want, you'll find it here. The invitation of Jesus is, give up everything. The message of the church sounds sounds, sounds less like deny yourself and more like Burger King slogan, have it your way. The fear of the result is that often churches are full of raving fans, but not very many followers. You see, churches today, man, I'm telling you, there's a fine line between a church looking good and being comfortable. I'm all about comfort, too, and I hope you're comfortable in those chairs. But I'm going to tell you, you can go to churches today, and you can get you a latte, and you've got a cup holder at your chair and you you can get a pedigree, pedigree, and you can get a manicure, and and you can probably get a barbershop cut in there. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, it's all about trumping the next church. Now we've got churches that don't just let you take your tithe on your debit card, but you can swap that MasterCard, you can swap that Visa, American Express, don't leave home without it. Come on, man. Whatever you need, it produces it. And what we've become almost is like mall church. I'm scared that we are producing customers or consumers, but we're not producing followers. We're not. We're just trying to get ahead of the next one. If this church does this, this church trumps this church. Now, I'm telling you, I'm sorry, and I'm not trying to speak bad about those churches, because I'm going to tell you, in, in those churches, there are followers. But I do not believe that their whole goal is to produce followers. The whole goal is to make them happy and draw a crowd. And you gotta be careful, man. Jesus said many times to crowds a crowd would gather and he would say something like this You want to follow me? You might want to be careful. Could put you on a cross to my right or my left. You wanna follow me? You gotta hate your mother? Your brother, your sister, your daddy, and your family. You want to follow me? You got to die to self. For this life I live, I live by faith and faith alone. He gave his life for me. He lives his life through me. I must have a personal funeral every single day and die to myself. Here's the contradiction in Scripture to what you hear there. The word in Scripture is slave. Slave. That we're supposed to be a slave to Christ. Jesus in the New Testament is is often called Lord, which means kuros. Follower in the New Testament is often called slave, a doulas. Okay? Servants work for someone. Slaves are owned by someone. Can I just tell you something? Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you, owns you. Owns you. There's a big difference in church between calling Jesus Savior and calling Jesus Lord. When you call Jesus Savior, you understand he died for you and you have eternal life and he gave you heaven. But when you call Jesus Lord, you're saying he is what? Boss. He's boss. He's master. He tells me what to do, and I do it. The problem is we've got that switched. Too many of us are masters over Jesus. And we're telling him what to do. Jesus said that you cannot call me Lord and not be my slave. Now we don't use the word slave a lot because it's a bad word and it conjures up bad images of a bad time in America. But my friends, all through scripture Jesus says, you will be my slave. Peter, when he begins second Peter, he says, Peter, a slave of Jesus. You'll hear it sometimes, servant of Jesus. Translated into word servant, means slave. Okay? We don't use slave a lot. Why? Because it's a bad image. James did it. John did it. Paul did it when he read Romans. He said, James could have pulled the old card. James, half-brother of Jesus. Mm-mm, he didn't say that. He says, James, a slave of Jesus Christ. Bill Bright who began his ministry by, uh, he's a big guy on uh, the four laws of, uh, of tracts, of four, laws, four laws of Christ. He also was a big guy in the area of the Jesus film who saw millions of people come to Christ through the Jesus film. He's got three words on his tune, slave for Jesus. My friends, how long has it been since you ever thought of yourself as a slave to Jesus? You think of yourself that way? No. Do you think of yourself as a slave unto Christ? Normally we don't. I want you to go to your Bible to Deuteronomy. Go to verse 15, I mean chapter 15. Let's look at verse um, sixteen. Deuteronomy fifteen, sixteen. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an owl and push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same to your maidservant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free because his service. is to you for these six years has been worth twice as much as that of the higher hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Bond servant, Let me set the table here. What's happening is, after six years of being a slave, you can be set free by your master. Many people who have been slaves back then, when they were set free after six years, Did not leave. They came back and wanted to remain a bond slave or a bond servant. Where we get that term. Okay? Now, why in the world would you do that? Because you're thinking, man, if I was a slave for six years and they set me free, dude, I'd be free. I'd never go back to that life. Never. Never. Hmm. Interesting. I want you to go back to Matthew. I want you to keep that in mind. Bond servant could have been free, could have been free, but chose to go back. Look at verse twenty-two of that text, Matthew nineteen. Remember, Jesus is told him back in verse twenty-one. That if you want this, you've got to do what? you got to sell everything and give it to the poor. Okay? Then he says in 22, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great worth or great wealth. He said, That does not make any sense whatsoever. If you have great wealth, why in the world would you walk away sad when you went back to it? Let me tell you why. (laughs) You see, when you're a slave to the king, he says this to you, I will never leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. You see, if you have my... Jesus, as your master, he says this to you. I'll provide for you. I own the cattle in a thousand fields, dude. I'll take care of the sparrow. Oh, yeah. I'll clothe the lily of the field. How much more do I love you? I'll take care of you. You live life. I'm hopeless, empty, hollow. I know. But if you had my master... He would give you purpose, hope, and a relationship with Him. And if you had my Master, Jesus, He would call you friend. He would call you child. He would call you son. He would call you daughter. You see, if you had my Master named Jesus, He would defend you. He would fight for you. He would be with you. And when you got tired, my Master, Jesus, Oh, he's strong. He'd take that burden off of you, and he'd lift it over there and put it on himself, and he'd give you a yoke that is light. When this world beats up on you, you your slave out there in this old world that's broken, you can run back to your master and sit in his lap, and nobody will hug you like Jesus. Nobody will love you like Jesus. You see, the rich, the rich man... He could have had Jesus as his slave, as his master. And he walked away sad because he wouldn't give it up. And he knew, he knew he was picking the wrong thing. He knew he was already sad. Why was he sad? Because he was choosing to follow the world and the money and the love, all that stuff more. And he couldn't lay it down. And he couldn't go with Jesus. And he walked away sad. Why did those slaves go back to being bond slaves? Because they knew they could never get a master like they had. Never. My friends, let me say something to you. My prayer for this church and to all churches, that we would be slaves, all of us. All of us in here would be slaves to Jesus. That we would, ma- we would be disguised out there as bankers, as doctors, as nurses, as administrators, as teachers, as salesmen. Be disguised in all these different ways. But underneath all that disguise out there, you're nothing but a slave. We're just slaves, man. We're slaves in answer to our Lord, our Master, our King. Our Jesus. And when we're broken by this world that we live in and we work in and we're in, guess what? We got a brother that sticks closer than a friend, man. We got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We got Jesus. My friends, I'm gonna say something to you. This world and all that it dances in front of you is hollow and empty and will leave you crying for your master. And some of you know that because you tried to dance to the music the world plays and it leaves you empty. It's time for you to dance at the music that Jesus gives you. And quit accepting all that junk out there. Don't be like the rich man who wouldn't give it up and follow Jesus, but he took that wealth and all that it could give him, or he thought it could give him, and he left sad. He left sad. You see, today, if you had wealth and you had slave, then <laughs> here you are. Walk to your power. Walk to it. You say, well, we don't have to do that. No, he doesn't force you to do that. But can I tell you something? It goes on every day. It goes on every day. You know what wealth is? I'm not talking about money, okay? I'm talking about having everything you want and chasing after everything, 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 everything that you think that you need to make you happy. Or will you surrender that and choose to be a slave for Jesus and receive the promise that he says, I will take care of you, my child. I will take care of you like nobody else, nobody else. You know what denying yourself is? Denying yourself is simply this. Saying no to me. That's it. It's saying no to me. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Can I tell you something? Say no to me and say yes to Jesus. And if God still trusts you and gives you wealth beyond measure, then guess what? go. Make much of it. Enjoy it. Because you know what? He wouldn't give you wealth if he couldn't trust you with it. And the minute he can't trust you with it, he'll take it. He'll take it. He'll take it. My friends, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. That'll separate the fans from the followers. That will separate them. Which one are you today? Which one? Fathers, we enter a time of invitation. Father, that's not an easy gospel to hear today. But it's one we must hear. God, if we're going to follow you, we must deny ourselves. We must say no to ourselves. Say no to me. I must say no to Jeff. And trust you, Father, and follow you. If I ran after the things of the world like I run after you, how much further would I be with you? Father, today, take us as the church. And may we not compare ourselves with other people, but may we can look at you and look at the word and ask ourselves, When it comes to being a follower of Christ, how am I doing with denying myself? Is it all about me? It's just all about me. Me, me, me. Get, get, get. Because if I get it, I'll be so happy. When many of us are like the rich young man who who, who gets it, still miserable, still sad. So, Father, this morning, during this invitation time, I pray, Father, you direct us to what it means to really follow you, to deny ourselves, to say no to me. Father, this morning, if there's someone that's the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, that's tried everything the world offers to fill that void, that's still empty. God, don't let them walk away sad, back to that life again. Let them come and experience Jesus. Father, for the family that's looking for a church home, my prayer is, Father, that you lead them here. Nothing like finding a church home. Father, this morning, maybe it's just me that needs to come to the altar and bow down because we've been standing way too long. So, Father, during this invitation time, you move us, you be glorified, you be honored in Christ's name. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you need to come for any reason, please do so.